0: we ask that you try to help us out. You can help us out in two different ways. First, you can give us a rating in the app store that you use. Secondly, share this podcast with a family member, a friend, or a colleague. This really does help us to get these messages into the hands of the people who can really benefit from them. All right, without further ado, your Senior Pastor Dan Willis. I want to thank you for tuning in today on Facebook, and certainly later you can do so on our webpage. A uh, couple announcements that I have for you today. Uh, We have been uh, feeding uh, children from the Vigo County School Corporation over the last week or so. Uh, That number of children that we were serving has dwindled uh, down to about four on Friday, and so we are going to suspend that operation uh, for the coming week. Uh, We will return to it if the need arises where people are asking where the meals are. Uh, We are certainly open to that ministry again, but at this point, we're going to suspend that. So if you have signed up for it, don't expect to uh, be here during the week for that. As you know, dear friends, next Sunday is Palm Sunday. Uh, I'm excited about Palm Sunday, but not excited that we can't necessarily meet together. I like that we can do it this way, and we're going to continue to do that. Uh, palms will be available to you. Uh, if you make uh, an appointment or you call the church office and talk to the uh, office secretary, Jessica will be uh, willing to set up a time where if you can come sometime during the week and get your palms, because I'd like you to have them. Uh, for next Sunday. Uh, we are kicking around doing some type of a parking lot service. It, it, it probably won't get off the ground for next week, uh, but we are looking at doing something for Easter Sunday, if in fact that's possible. Uh, we're going to try to do something possibly where we can uh, have you pull in in your cars. We can, you can turn into a particular radio station, and maybe you, maybe you can pick up the message, you can see me uh, and maybe hear me on the radio. So we're trying to, but you have to be close, obviously. So we're, we're working on that. We don't know how that's going to work, but here's what I will tell you. Whether we do or we don't uh, have this ban lifted and we meet in, uh, in two weeks for Easter Sunday, we will absolutely have an Easter Sunday service as soon as the ban is lifted. That's going to happen. We're not going to throw Easter out. The enemy is not going to stop Easter at Free Life Community Church. And isn't that wonderful? So plan to uh, make plans for those types of things that so we will uh, be doing that. Uh, Bible Stories with Dr. D continues on Sunday nights. Uh, there is a vid- video that's going to be available to you uh, this afternoon where you can pick it up anytime during the day. It's going to be uh, posted to the Facebook page as well as to um, uh, our website, and it is on the first chapter of Malachi. I think you're going to enjoy it. It's 30 minutes. Uh, I, 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 don't, I don't think you're used to me preaching quite so uh, such a small period of time, but nevertheless, that's what we're going to do for the videos. So uh, plan to tune in for that uh, this evening. Um, our midweek services, we're going to try to do something with a question and answer where you can log in and we can actually talk live. I don't know how that's going to work yet, Our communications guy, John DeLille, is working on that. So as soon as we get that sort of thing up and running, we will let you know. So plan to do that as well. Um, There's also one other thing. If this continues to go for any lengthy period of time, uh, the plan is that we will put together children's lessons as well once a week so that you can tune in for your children and they can also get A Bible story or a lesson from our children's director. So uh, again, if this continues, uh, there are things that we're going to do to try to serve you as much as we can, just like we always did before the ban on meeting together. So I'm excited about those things, friends, and I'm grateful for the opportunity uh, that we have to meet together. I have to start out today uh, by telling you a little funny. Uh, Some people have already heard it. My family already knows about it. Um, You know, you got to have a sense of humor, uh, even in light of things that are going on that aren't so funny. Uh, a week or so ago, well, it was probably two weeks ago now, uh, right before the ban on, on travel meeting together, um, I went into Walmart uh, to get um, a drink and a couple of things. I was heading out of town. And when I was in the checkout lane, everybody kind of froze and stopped and turned their focus toward the front door. A full-grown man walked in the front door of Walmart. He was wearing, no joke, a full Peter Cottontail suit. And he had modified the head of it, and he had cellophane over the face, and he had eye and nose and mouth slits cut out. And he walked through the store two or three steps at a time with a can of Lysol in his hand, and he would psst, psst, and then walk again and psst, psst. Never in my life have I seen that before, and, and I was going to record it, and I said, no, nah, I'll be dumber having watched that. So I'm not going to do that. But nevertheless, I know that <laughs> certain things happen in life that we can't control, but you've got to look at the lighter side of things. I'm, I'm sure that that individual felt like that was a way to protect himself, and perhaps for him it is. Uh, but I can assure you, unless I'm dead, your pastor will not be wearing a Peter Cottontail suit. Now, those of you at home who are wearing your jammies, that's great. Uh, uh, there are, my family is here with me this morning. I'm grateful for that because it's kind of strange preaching without anybody in the, in the congregation. Nevertheless, uh, no one is wearing jammies, and I'm as close to jammies as you're going to see me uh, in front of the camera. But I'm glad that you're able to snuggle in and watch and take in the word of God today. That's the most important thing anyway. Um, I'm grateful that we live in a nation where we have freedom And that we can broadcast like this and we can continue uh, to gather together, even in separate places, but fellowship together uh, through this wonderful technology that we have and spend time with the Lord. And so today, as we look at our our message, we go right back into our sermon series. And today is the shift where we shift from uh, what is the Church of Christ? Now it's ellipsis dot, dot, dot. What about the Church of Christ? Because that's we had to find out. We know what the church of Christ is, now let's find out how it operates. What about it? How does it exist? Why is it there? And this week's message is, what about the church of Christ purchased by the blood of Christ? Purchased by the blood of Christ. The church was purchased by the spilling of Jesus' blood. And if you have your Bibles, turn with me, if you will, to Acts chapter 20, and we're going to scroll down to verse 28. Acts chapter 20 verse 28. And I'll give you just a few seconds to get there. And as you do, I'm going to scroll over and I'm going to use the New International Version today. Uh, You'll find that this is the Apostle Paul. Uh, Luke wrote this particular book of the Acts. It is is his uh, second part of history, Luke, and then the, the Acts of the Apostles. But he is recording here what the Apostle Paul is telling us as a church. So, scrolling down to verse 28, we find these words. Paul says, Keep watch over yourselves and all the flock of which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. Keep watch over yourself and the entire flock, the whole church, of which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. We're all overseers based on the Holy Spirit. He says, be shepherds of the church of God, which he bought with his own blood. We were bought, purchased with his own blood. Now he says, I know that after I leave, savage wolves will come in among you and they will not spare the flock, even from your own number. Men will arise and distort the truth in order to draw away disciples after them. So, be on your guard. Remember that for three years, I never stopped warning each of you night and day. And I did so, Paul says, with tears. Now, when someone sheds tears over what they're trying to communicate, that means that it's important, it's passionate. It's a huge thing, and that's exactly what Paul is saying. I have warned you for three years, be on your guard, be careful, keep watch. These things aren't maybe going to happen, they are going to happen. And now that Jesus has left the earth, and now Paul's about to and he knows it, guess what? They're going to come in more and try to do damage. The wolves, he calls them. The Apostle Paul is speaking... And Luke records the things that he's talking about, and he's basically telling us that when Jesus, uh, what Jesus paid on the cross for the church was absolutely priceless. What Jesus did on the cross, what he purchased, what he paid was absolutely priceless. And the cost was probably too high. Now, I've, I've been taken in before, and I've paid too much for certain things. Oftentimes, you don't know it until after you've done it. But you maybe have an idea before you do it, and you you decide in your mind, is it worth it to pay the extra? Should I take the gamble? Is it worth paying extra for this particular thing? Well, I know that the price that Jesus paid was too high, but he paid it anyway, because I look at humanity, and I see how vile we are, how we've always been. And to me, the price is too high. But I'm grateful, and I'm sure you are as well, that Christ didn't think that we were too high. He didn't think the price was too high, and he was willing and able to shed his blood for us. Now, Paul continues to tell us that we must stand for the church. We must stand for it. We must also invest in the church, and we must give to the church, and we must give for the church. And not only that, friends, we're going to have to fight for the church. Now, that's a lot of things we have to do, and I'm not sure as Christians we want to do that, and you know why? Because for years and years and years and years and years, Christians have been told you are to be meek and mild, you are to be seen and not heard, and you're never to have any conflict with anyone, and you're supposed to give everybody their way, and you're never supposed to fight, you're never supposed to get angry, you're never, because if you did those things, you weren't a Christian. Friends, that was the work of Satan. That has never been true, and I'm grateful that Christ fought and died for me. And I'm grateful that the early church leaders fought for the church. They gave to the church sacrificially, and they did everything necessary to stand for the church. Now, yes, we are allowed and should let the Holy Spirit be leading the battle for us. I get that. But somebody's got to stand and do it. And So that's what Paul is trying to tell us. In fact, if Christ gave his blood for it, The question is, what should we be willing to give? If Christ gave his blood, what are we willing to give? You see, it isn't a matter of why, but it's a matter of how much and how often (laughs) that he wants you to give. How much and how often. Why does it matter? It ought to be obvious. And when does it matter? It's always. That's what he did. His was eternal, and our giving back should be eternal as well. You see, friends, the cost of something indicates its worth. The cost of something indicates its worth. Now, I might be willing to pay, you know, a little more money for, you know, a, a monster truck, but probably if I'm going to buy uh, a mini, maybe not. You see, one vehicle is worth a lot more than another. A certain house is worth more than another. Certain clothing is worth more than others. So. What it costs tells its value and its worth to us. Jesus saw value in us. You get what you pay for, and you will always pay for what you get. And I found that sometimes going less expensive or what some people say cheaper isn't always best. And I'm grateful that Christ didn't try to give us a substitute other than himself, that he didn't try to cheapen what he was doing. They didn't try to see that we weren't quite as worthy as we'd like to be. No, he paid the price. He gave it all, and he did it without question. I'm grateful that he saw us for that way. You see, friends, we have to understand. The church is its people. You and I, we make up the church. And the church costs Christ his blood. His blood. Sometimes that's all we have is our blood. I mean, I've been in arguments before, and I've said, I've done everything I can do. I've apologized. What more do you want? My blood? And the fact is, because that's all I've got. And that's kind of a a thing said in jest, because you know you're not going to give up your blood to win an argument. But Christ did give up his blood. He spilled his blood for us. That was his payment. Now, we have to ask ourselves, what is the value of blood? And what is the value of Jesus' blood? I'd say it's pretty high. To determine what the value of blood is, we have to realize what it purchased. What exactly did the blood of Christ purchase? Well, look around the church today. Look at the church of yesterday, the church of today, and the church of the future. Look at its people. Look what it stands for. And you tell me, what did Christ's blood purchase? And you tell your truth, I'm a little disappointed. I'm disappointed... And what Christ's blood has purchased because we're not acting in the manner that Christ intended nor has expected us to do so. But here's what happened. In light of that or in spite of that, it still purchased our forgiveness. It purchased our forgiveness before a living God. It purchased our redemption and adoption back into the family of God. It purchased our fellowship in eternity with him. And you can't put a price on that, my friends. I can't, you can't, no one can. And I don't think we're really gonna understand that until we get there. When we find out what heaven really is, what eternity really is, then perhaps we're gonna understand what the value that Christ's blood purchased really was. What is your life really worth? In essence, it purchased our physical lives and it purchased our spiritual lives. The one now and the one to come. And because it bought our protection on earth from the evil one, we have certain benefits that come with it. And it purchased our blessings and the grace that has been bestowed upon us. In other words, it purchased everything. Quite a price. So let's take a look at purchased by the blood of Christ. We have to start by the blood of Christ bought or purchased the church. So let's break that down just a little bit. In verse 28, we find that the church is worth fighting for. Notice that Paul says we must watch over ourselves and the rest of the flock. And I thought to myself, well, how how do we do that? I have a hard time watching over myself, let alone the rest of the flock. And you could say, well, you're the pastor. Yes, but I'm still human. Uh, And all of you are also ministers in your own right. We all are. So Paul isn't just writing to those who are called to be ministers and pastors, he said that all of you are to watch over yourselves and the rest of the flock. So, how do we do it? Well, I think some Christians watch over others before themselves, and that's a kind of a dangerous thing. It's easier, I think, to find fault in others before we can see fault in ourselves. Anybody? It's easier to find fault in others before you'll ever see it in yourself. And yet, Jesus Himself was clear that we must keep watch over our own spirituality before we can ever do it for anybody else. And so that's job one. We need to start with watching over our own spirituality. And to tell you the truth, if you're honest with yourself, I'll bet you you'll find that there's room for improvement, no matter how good you think you are. There's always room for spiritual improvement. While we're on this earth and the Holy Spirit is here, amen? There's always room for spiritual improvement. So we have to watch over our spirituality. So how do we do that? Well, that's the million-dollar question. Why is that the million-dollar question? Because we want to watch over ourselves based on wrong ideals. We want to watch over ourselves based on our own likes and our preferences. Most of the time, we don't like to do things we don't want to do. Most of the time, we don't like to do things that's not our preference. And so why would we ever watch over ourselves with things we don't like or is not our preference? Therein lies the problem. So God says it doesn't really matter what we think, what we like, or what we prefer. You need to watch over yourself with the model that Christ gave us and by the Word of God itself. That's how we watch over ourselves. You see, basing it on our likes, dislikes, and preferences is not at all what Christianity is about, and it never has been. Because if we do it that way, then we're doing things in our own strength or we're doing it with our own set of ideals. And you and I both know that they change so quickly based on our current situation, you could time it with an egg timer. Friends, we cannot watch over our spirituality with our own ideals. God clearly wants to control us through the power of His Spirit. And this is why Jesus gave us the gift of the Spirit in the first place. Now, you might think it was just to help you, to protect you and things like that. It was more than that. It was to watch over your spirituality, to have a part of Himself actually living in you and in me that would influence the rest of you and me that aren't doing things we should or why we should. This is particularly why we were given the gift of the Spirit. He prayed that our spirits, get this, would connect with His Spirit. That our spirits, our human spirits, would connect with His Spirit. And likewise, through Him, our spirits would then connect through Him to the Father. We would connect to the Father through Jesus Christ. And that's what the Bible means when it says that no person comes to the Father Without going through Christ. Why? Because it's not that he's the only way to get there, although that's true. We can't connect to the Father without the Spirit of Christ being in us. There's no connection there. Now, all of us probably have cell phones, and when you don't have connection, you're not a happy camper. When your Internet connection goes down, you're not real happy. Why? Because you can't connect to the things that you want to. And so it changes everything you do, how you work, how you play, how you operate. And, friends, if we're not connecting to the Father through the Spirit of Christ, then we're going to get a busy signal or no service. And that is a dangerous place to be. Amen? So that's what the Spirit of Christ is in us for. And he allows us then to spend time with the Lord in prayer. And the way we do this is allowing his word to teach us. So we spend time in the word, we spend time in prayer, and the Spirit of God, teaches us and connects us to the Father so we have the discernment that all of us needs to understand what he's actually saying. So now that we know how to watch over ourselves, how do we watch over the flock? Now, that's another interesting question, but I think it can be answered. You see, only when we're right with the Lord can we watch over anyone else. And Jesus made it very clear that our lifestyle, our hearts, our minds, you see, all of these things have to match up completely to that of the Holy Spirit. All of our attributes, heart, mind, spirit, has to match up with the Holy Spirit himself. That's the only possible way it can happen. Notice his words in Matthew 7, verses 3 to 5. This is the famous do not judge passage. Now, I'm sure all of you are familiar with the do not judge lest you be judged passage. That is used by Christians and non-Christians alike. For whatever reason, people love to quote that and say, you're not supposed to judge me. Don't judge others. Christ said, don't do it. That's not exactly what he said, but that's how they operate it. You see, there's way more to it than that line. And so I want to interpret that for you today because it's right there. This do not judge passage is the most misinterpreted passage probably in the Scripture. And it's misinterpreted way more than it's ever interpreted properly. Jesus did not command us not to judge. I'm going to start right there. And for those of you who are like, wait a minute, yes, he did. No, no, he didn't. Look at the whole passage. You can't pick and choose what you're going to think and believe on. You've got to look at the whole thing. He didn't say, don't judge completely, end of story. He said, for some people, that would be better that you don't because your heart isn't right because you're going to be judged in the manner that you're judging. (laughs) And for some of us, that's a bad idea. Okay. So he said, don't judge because, but it goes further. And let me, let me quote it for you. He says that if our spirituality isn't what it's supposed to be, we shouldn't because the same measure we use will be used toward us. He was clearly talking about helping others with their own spirituality. Listen to the rest of his command in this passage. He says, why do you look at that speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, let me take that speck out of your eye, when all the time there is a plank in your own eye? You hypocrite. First, Take the plank out of your own eye. That's the command. First, take the plank out of your eye. And when you have done so, listen to this. Then you will see clearly, spiritually, to remove the speck from your brother's eye. In other words, you're to remove the speck from your brother's eye, but you've got to get the plank out of yours first. That doesn't sound like don't judge to me. What he's saying is there's no doubt we're to get the speck out of our, our brother's eye but we're to be the Christian that Christ called us to be before we can ever absolutely do that. So be the right Christian, and then not only can you judge, you're commanded to do so because all of us can judge good and evil. Amen? The Spirit teaches us so. Notice also that by virtue of the Holy Spirit living within us, I got to go back to this because it's important. We've all been made overseers. You see, we all want to be bosses. We all want to be overseers, but unfortunately, we want it on our terms. We just want to give orders to people. We want to control people. That's not what he's talking about. That's how we see it. When people aspire to having authority, that's what they see, that they can be the boss and be their own boss, and they can tell people what to do, and they can do what they want to do, and they think that will make them happier. Well, if you've ever been a leader, you know it comes with much greater responsibility than that. And that's exactly what Jesus is trying to say through the Apostle Paul. He says an overseer is a leader. It is someone that Paul says the Holy Spirit put in a position of leadership over other Christians. You see, one doesn't have to be appointed as a pastor or an elder or a deacon or even a board member to be a leader. In fact, a spiritual leader is actually a person with more authority and power. Why? Because appointment by humans doesn't give you authority and power. It gives you greater responsibility, but not authority and power. Because if no one listens or follows your leadership, there's no power. But as a spiritual leader, that comes directly from the Lord himself. And we're all called to it. This person does most of their leading by example, which is exactly what Jesus did. And it is evidenced by the authority and the power of the spirit that lives within that person this exact same spirit that tells us to watch over ourselves and to watch over others and who calls us into leadership of God's kingdom clearly tells us that the church we are a part of the church that we represent the church that we serve is absolutely worth fighting for and i look around the church today and i think it is it's 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 lost its aim sometimes and it's looked a little different i think that than the Bible and Christ commands it to be, but it is still worth fighting for. And friends, I will tell you, it will be worth fighting for until Jesus comes to take us home. Because he's the one that said it will stand and the gates of hell will not stand against it. My friends, if Christ thinks the church is worth fighting for, shouldn't we? And so I think that that's the key. Remember, Jesus died for it and we too ought to be willing to do the same. A second thing that the blood of Christ bought for the church is that we're going to be presented back to Christ as his bride. Now, that's not spoken about a lot, but as a male, it's kind of strange for me to identify with being a bride. Nevertheless, that's what we're going to be. And I had to look at it from the terms of the spiritual side as well as the physical side. And so in Ephesians 5.25, 5.27, and 5.32, Paul says this. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, and to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain, without wrinkle, or any other blemish, holy and blameless. This is a profound mystery, but I am talking about Christ and the church. And I thought about that for a minute, and I thought, okay, so what kind of bride do men seek? You see, I can can judge that, because I know what kind of bride I was seeking and I know what I was looking for. I know what attributes. I know what beauties. I know what skills. I know what demeanor and spirit and heart I was looking for. Clearly, we're looking for one that's worthy of marriage to us for a lifetime. That's what it's supposed to be. That isn't what society's made it, but that's what God says it is. So that's what we should be looking for. We should be looking for one that completes us, one whom we trust, and one that we want to share the rest of our lives with. Because it's not a temporary thing. It's a forever thing. God says we will be betrothed to Him for eternity in Hosea 2.19. He says, I will betroth you to me forever. I will betroth you in righteousness and justice in love and compassion. And I thought about that for a minute and I thought, "Well, my goodness. If, if I'm going to be betrothed to Christ forever and this is what He's looking for and how He's going to do it... What kind of a Christian have I been? What kind of a bride am I going to be? Are we worthy of being the bride of Christ? I mean, when he looks at you, what exactly does he see? I think that's a fair question. It's a a question I want to know. It's a question every guy wants to know. Every woman wants to know what kind of husband she's going to get. Friends, with Christ, we know what kind of bridegroom we're going to have. There's no question there. The question is, who are we? What is he actually getting? Remember, his blood purchased us, but what, are, what have we done since the purchase? Have we become the bride he hopes we'll be? I, that's a great question, and it has to be answered. And I thought about that more, and I thought, okay, you see, Christ isn't concerned about your physical appearance, not nearly as much as earthly husbands are. No, he's looking for the heart of oneself. Who are you? What are you? How do you think? How do you speak? How do you act? What's in your heart? That's what he wants to know. And then, what have you done in your Christian life that proves all of that? You see, friends, who have you served? And who have you loved? Isn't that what he's looking for? On the day we're presented back to Christ, what kind of bride is he actually going to get? And then I found that a person must be part of the church to be the bride. <laughs> you can't be part of the bride of Christ if you're not in the church. Now, I know a lot of people think that they can stay home and, and watch TV and, and TV evangelists and never be part of a church fellowship. It's not true. It's impossible. Not only did Paul say it, Jesus said it. You have to be part of the church that he set upon the earth. Why did he put it here if he didn't want us to be part of it? So you had to be part of the church and that means being part of a local church in conjunction with the greater church in order to be part of the bride of Christ. When Christ looks at you, again, what does he see? Friends, in order to be the bride of Christ, you've got to be part of that which was purchased by his blood. You have to be part of that which was purchased by his blood. And you ought to be living in a manner that is pleasing to Christ, worthy of being called his, and willing to prove this. We ought to have the benefits... being purchased by his blood and if you don't have the benefit in your life of being purchased by his blood chances are you're not living a life worthy of that and therefore are not part of the bride of Christ because you're not part of the church because if you are part of the church if you're the person that was purchased by his blood then you're gonna see the evidence of his spirit working in and through you on a daily basis and probably even more than that an hourly basis in other words Was Jesus' expenditure, was Christ's expenditure worth it? For instance, I remember once when everybody was buying coats for the winter, and this is many, many, many years ago. My wife will probably remember this. Maybe she won't. But everybody wanted to buy the stylish coat, and at that time, it was a London fog. Anybody remember London fogs? I imagine you could still probably buy them. I'm not sure. But nevertheless, at that time, everybody wanted a London fog. And we seem to have this infatuation with Europe that I'll really never understand. I mean, we're Americans. We live in the greatest country in the world. So somebody's going to have to explain why we're infatuated with Europe. But that's a sermon for another day. Anyway, this coat, I found one. And I was looking specifically for a London fog because everybody, all my coworkers, everybody that I knew had a London fog. A lot of guys wore the real long ones over their suits, and they were all London Fog. A lot of guys had some of the shorter ones that they would you know, not wear a suit coat or jacket just over a, a shirt and tie, and it was almost always a London Fog. Why? Because that's what the retailers had, that's what everybody wanted, and that's what the fad was of the day, a London Fog. And so I, I, I came across this one that I liked, and it, it had buttons rather than a zipper. And I thought, well, that's kind of Amish, I guess, but maybe it isn't. I don't know. Uh, you know, because zippers, I guess, aren't a stylist today. And so this one had buttons and no zipper. And here's another thing that I found. It, it, it looked good on me. I liked it. It felt good. I liked the color. I liked everything about it. The only problem was it wasn't a very warm coat. I didn't know that until after I purchased it. Remember, we're going back to that first phase. Yeah, you, you, is it worth paying the extra price for it You don't know sometimes until after you've done it. Well, I paid the extra price, and I found out very quickly that it probably was not worth what I paid for it. It looked good, but I froze when we were outside in the winter. And we lived in South Bend at the time, so guess what? Pretty cold. Everybody else was warm. I was not. And suddenly, I couldn't stay outside as long as other people. I couldn't. We couldn't do things as a family with that particular London Fog coat on because I got cold too quickly and had to leave. And that's not very fun for the family. You see, friends, this is what happens. The expenditure wasn't worth it. I didn't know that at the time, but now I found out. And suddenly, style didn't seem so important to me when I was freezing. And I realized pretty quickly that a much less expensive coat with a zipper would absolutely have been... A better value you know what the moral of the story was well what did i get for my expenditure not what i should have gotten no matter what it looked like or how popular it was warmth was what counted and i certainly didn't get warmth out of this particular coat so clearly it wasn't worth it a question i have for us today what did jesus get for the spilling of his blood for you Are you worth it? Was it worth it? Will you be worth it? Because he purchased you. He bought you with his blood. What exactly did he get? And the question is, should he be getting more? That brings us to our second point. The New Testament determines the church and its membership. The New Testament determines the church and its membership. And friends, here's what I have found in my career as a Christian as well as a pastor. Many people want to make the church what they want it to be. Many people want to make the church what they want it to be. And we will hop around church to church until we find one that suits us. Never mind if we were called there or not. We're going to hop around until we find one. It goes back to that thing we should never do, personal preference. Scary, isn't it? You see how easy that is? We'll choose a church based on the worship, the people, the building, location, Sometimes the pastor. And friends, those should not necessarily be the factors. Did God call you there or not? We want to make the church what we want it to be. And if it won't be, we'll go to one that is. And if we can't find one, we'll make our own. That's happened over and over and over again. That's how I know that this is true, because the trend is to make your own church. And so we want to make the church what we want it to be. The problem is Christ determines what's a church and what isn't. We don't get to determine that. Jesus determines what's a Christian church and what is not. And it absolutely stuns me that there are people who are Christians who say they love Christ and that they are members of His church. And yet, when it comes to the Scripture, they simply don't want to believe what the Scripture says. They'd rather believe what they want to believe and try to interpret the Scripture to back that up. We can't. That's impossible. Now, I know that there are certain passages where we could argue that point, but not very many. And so, friends, I want to share with you today that what people want to believe is typically wrong. Why? Because it suits us. Because we're trying to follow self versus Christ. And self and Christ cannot coexist. You have to die to self for Christ to live in you. Isn't that what you did at salvation? Die to self? Yes. His blood purchased your new life the new life in Him, with a brand new set of opportunities. And so we have to die to self. And yet the truth in the Scripture? Well, we don't really want to believe that. People don't want to believe it because, again, they can't do what they want to do. And unfortunately, that's what we want, to do what we want. They just can't believe that Christ says sinful thoughts, sinful practice, and accepting either one of those things is wrong. Sinful practice Sinful thoughts are wrong, and accepting them in others is also wrong. Now listen, grace and mercy are wonderful aspects of our Christianity, and aren't you glad for them? I'm grateful that we have grace and mercy and love. Those things are very important. But God does not condone sinful behavior, nor does he condone compromising to accept sinful behavior no matter how much he loves us and I think people are going to find that out pretty quickly and you know what really gets me is if the Holy Spirit's really in you you already know it you already know that God doesn't condone those things so if you're condoning them how much of the Spirit is actually in you I think that's a great question to ask and that's another question that demands an answer there are many churches out there, and I'm not pointing fingers, and maybe sometimes we're, we're the same. I'm not sure, but I hope not. But I'll tell you this. Sometimes churches don't match up with what Christ said we ought to be. Now, let that sink into your mind for just a minute. A church that calls itself Christian, no matter what sign is on the front or on the front door, that doesn't match up with what Christ said it ought to be, is that a Christian church? can't be. It might be a church, but who runs it? If it isn't Christ, it's run by the enemy. And people can say that's not true. Yes, it is. If Christ doesn't run the church, if he doesn't rule the church, then it's not a true church. And any church that's not the true church, that's not a Christian church, uh, and I know that our Muslim brothers are going to be upset. I know that, that people that aren't Christian are going to be upset. But the fact of the matter is the Christian church is the only true church, period, because Christ is the reason for it. And if Christ isn't in it, then it's not a Christian church. And if Christ doesn't run it, Satan does. And I I know that people will argue that point. But when you get down to it, there's no other explanation. And if you read the scripture, God says that. Either you believe or you don't. And I choose to believe in Jesus Christ as my personal Savior. He is the leader of my life. He's the leader of our church. His blood purchased me and you, which is the church. That's what this whole message is about. But this brings another unfortunate problem because people are coming to Christ under the teachings of churches that allow simple practice. And then they use grace as a license to condone it. Friends, this is not how it works. And there's going to be judgment. And I know people don't want to hear that sometimes. I know that today maybe you were hoping to hear a message of hope. And I'm thinking I'm giving you one. Because if you're doing this, then you can change. And the message turns to hope, you see, because you can be forgiven and move forward in the right manner. So God does not allow us to condone sinfulness and use grace and mercy to allow it. Friends, here's the deal. No matter how much someone says they love Jesus, the fact is you will not inherit the kingdom of heaven, living life with sinful behavior, nor accepting his practice. And it's not just my words. This is the word of God. And I can prove it to you over and again. So can anybody who reads it. If you read it, you will see that that's true. You will not inherit the kingdom of heaven, living life with sinful behavior or condoning or accepting its practice. Friends, you know that my theme scripture for our church this year is Galatians 5, 16 to 21. Listen to the word of Christ to the Apostle Paul here again. So I say, walk by the spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the flesh desires what is contrary to the spirit and the Spirit, what is contrary to the flesh. They are in conflict with each other, so that you are not to do whatever you want. Hear that? You are not to do whatever you want. And if you do, you're in conflict with the Spirit. There's the conflict. So if you're in conjunction with the Spirit, you'll do what the Spirit wants, not what you want. Big difference. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. The acts of the flesh are obvious sexual immorality, impurity, debauchery, idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, and envy, drunkenness, orgies, and the like. I warn you, as I did before, that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. Now, friends, I know that you're going to look at that list and say, Well, I'm not, you know, participating in witchcraft and uh, you know, dissensions and drunkenness and orgies and that sort of sexual immorality and debauchery. I'm not doing that stuff. Maybe not. But well, what about the other things? What about idolatry? What about hatred and discord? What about jealousy? <laughs> There's a big one. You could probably add pride to that list. I, I, I'm not adding to it. I'm just telling you the spirit of the law tells us that that would be part of it. Fits of rage, selfish ambition, You tell me. Envy? Yeah. Probably we've done it. You see, friends, I'll make the statement again. People want to make the church what they want it to be, but secondly, they want to make church membership or membership in the church what they want it to be as well. You understand that? We want to make it easier, be able to do more things instead of be a member of the church. You can't determine that. And I know that churches out there, including this one, because we're a Wesleyan congregation, We have certain rules for membership. I get that. But I'd like to think that they're all based on Scripture, not what people want to do. And I look at the Wesleyan rules, and to tell you the truth, they match up with Scripture. Others might not. And that's why discernment is very important. You see, people are and always have been self-centered. We are and always have been self-appointed. We are and always have been self-serving. And we start that way at a very young age, don't we? I mean, every infant I've ever known screams when they want a bottle, and it's all about them. <laughs> you know? Uh, and I don't know where, you know, in life that ends, because I'm not sure it has for some. And I think, and sometimes it hasn't for any of us. Because, again, self centeredness, self servitude, self appointed that's who we are. And again, this isn't the biblical way to determine what a church member ought to be, it never has been. You see, human ideals of what a church member is hold zero authority or truth whatsoever. Again, they never have. The church is what God says it is. Not only is God what he says he is, God is who he says he is. We said that last week. God is who he says he is. But the church is also what God says it is, not what we think it is. We cannot determine what the church is. And, you know, sometimes we think the church ought to be what we wish it to be. I I don't know how we can expect that. If God says this is what the church is going to be, it shouldn't matter how it operates. The fact is, if God says it, then that's what it is, and that's what we ought to be enamored with. But we want to change things in, again, Personal preference. God not concerned with your personal preference. In fact, He wants us to conform to Him and His ways. How about that? To conform to God and His ways. So think about that just for a minute. Now, it would be nice, my friends, to receive salvation, to receive heaven, and all of the benefits that come with those things. I get it. And yet be able to think, speak, and act any way We want to. Everybody wants that. In every position across the land. But if we belong to Christ, and if we are members of his church, then the rules are very different. Why? Because Jesus demanded it. And he hasn't let up on it either. You see, friends, to be a member of the church, we have to be a true Christian. Now, here... Herein lies where all the debate's going to come. What does it mean to be a true Christian? Because you and I are going to think differently of what being a true Christian really is. You can't talk to someone in a different denomination, a different theological pattern, or someone in even a different church sometimes without disagreeing on what a true Christian is. I know that, and Christ knew it too. So he didn't concern himself with some of those things. He said, this is what a true Christian is. And this is where the bottom line is. You see, we want to make Christianity what we want it to be as well. Not only do we want to make the church what we want it to be, we want to make church membership what we want it to be. We want to go all the way back to the root of making Christianity what we want it to be. Why? Because Satan wants us to. Satan wants you to choose what Christianity is. Because if you're choosing it, it doesn't matter if he put that thought in your head or not. If you choose what it is, then you're not listening to what Christ says it is. That's dangerous, isn't it? And that's exactly how he operates. So we want to make Christianity what we want it to be or what we think it should be. Again, we can't. Christ alone determines Christianity, hence the form Christ-Christianity. They go together, okay? Remember that some have misinterpreted what love and grace actually are. We said that just a few minutes ago. Still others just believe what their human heart tells them. And this, too, is very dangerous. Why? Because here again, Satan wants you to determine Christianity on your own, based on how you think and feel. And that determines, like we said before, that is determined how, based on the current situation. And that is not a good measuring stick for Christianity. never has been. The fact is, God has already commanded us as to what Christianity is. He's also told us through the owner's management of human life how to live it. And so, friends, we've got to get back to that, don't we? Lastly, the blood of Christ only covers us if we meet the criteria. Whew. Man, I had to double take when that thought came to my mind. I had to research it. I had to look at it and think, is that really true? And God said, yeah. It is. The blood of Christ will only cover us if we meet the criteria of what a Christian is. You see, we can't determine what the blood of Christ covers. We want to. We'd like to. And sometimes we even try to. can't. He determines. Only Christ can determine what his blood covers. He's the one that gave it. He's the one that spilled it. He's the one that offered it. He's the one that was obedient to the Father. Most of us have not been, at least not all the time. So if His blood is the one that was spilled, then His blood is the one that purchased us back from Satan, who had taken control of the world. Yes. If His blood purchased us and took us back from Satan, who had taken control of the world, then that means that He also purchased our souls and our eternity because Satan had owned those too. Satan owned your soul, he owned your eternity, and he owned you, your life. Why are we so eager to give him parts of it back? If it was purchased by the blood of Christ, the purest blood on the planet, the purest blood in the universe, then why are we so eager to give Satan a foothold by giving some back? doesn't make any sense at all, and yet that's exactly what we're doing. So if Christ is the one who purchased it, then he must be the one who determines whether his blood will cover us or whether it will not. And we better get a handle on that pretty quick. We better ask him, don't you think? And here's the thing. If you want it to be something bad enough, he'll tell you it is. But you can't determine it based in here, based with this, here and the Spirit living in you. Don't push those things out. Allow them to take more control of your life so that you're thinking, feeling, and acting like Christ did, not how a human does. Doesn't that make sense? Hard to do sometimes. But the deeper in our word we are, the deeper in our spirituality we are, the deeper as a Christian we are, that's when those things begin to take place. So we've got to do it, friends. Now, when we're completely obedient, his blood certainly covers us, and it does more than that. When, we're comp- when we aren't completely obedient, well, that's going to be up to him. But to tell you the truth, I have my doubts. Remember, there will be more people in hell than there are in heaven. Now, I know that there's going to be people that's going to dispute that. They can dispute all they want. I defer to the word of God. Christ was very clear about this particular statement. Listen carefully, and you have to understand it. So let's turn, uh, return to Matthew 7. Remember the famous judging passage? Here it is. Listen to this in verse 13 and 14. Enter through the narrow gate. For wide is the gate, and broad is the road that leads to destruction. And many enter through it, but small is the gate, and narrow the road that leads to life, and only a few find it. My friends... The church is purchased by the blood of Christ. But the question is, are you really part of the church? Going to the church, attending the church, doesn't make you or anybody part of it. You're only part of the church if you are completely obedient to the Word of God and to the Spirit that lives within you. Sadly, looking at the gates, it is clear that many who thought they were part of the true church are not, and they won't be. And he's going to tell you. And I don't want to be that person that thinks I'm going through the narrow gate and it gets shuttered over to the wide one. How about you? It's it's a fair assessment. So let's be worthy of the purchase that Christ made for us, that he bought because of us. Be the bride when he looks at you that he can be proud of. When we're presented to him, what will he see? Well, that's a predetermination based on what he sees right now. What does Christ see right now? Don't worry about what you're going to look like. Determine what you're going to be now because that will determine what you're going to be later. So decide today to be the bride he demands. Remember, we are responsible to know the truth. We always have been. I know some people say, oh, I'm not responsible if I don't know. No, that's not, that's not going to fly. You're responsible to know the truth. Why? Paul says so in Romans 1. God has made it evidence everywhere for all time. People are going to be, in Paul's words, without excuse. And if the Holy Spirit told him that, I believe him. Amen? People are going to be without excuse. So you have responsibility to know the truth. You have responsibility to educate yourself on what God demands of you. And then you're responsible to live accordingly. There's no ways around that, friends. We want there to be, but again, there isn't. Anything less is the wide gate, and that's where the goats go. Jesus is going to say to some people, probably a lot of people, away from me, you evildoer, I never knew you. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, how grateful we are to be in your presence today. Father, we wish that we were together under the same roof in the same sanctuary. But Lord, whether we're here at Free Life Community Church or our campus at Mecca, or whether we're a part of another church tuning in today, We're all in our homes or somewhere where we're able to watch this broadcast. And because we're together, I don't think we have to be in physical presence. I think we can be together in spirit, and you'll be gathered with us because you want to be. Father, I'm grateful for that today. Be with us, we pray. Touch and bless us. Help us, Father, to focus on your word, to focus on our spiritual life, to do the things that are necessary. Father, we're grateful and thankful that your blood, purchased the church, that your blood purchased me, and it purchased all of us who are tuning in today and those who believe in the Christian church. Again, the gates of hell won't stand against it, and it will stand until you determine it's time to take it home. Father, we're grateful that we're part of it. Help us to be a greater part of the membership, a greater part of the Christian fellowship that we're supposed to be. And until we can come back together to be in the same facility together, bind us in our hearts. Help us, Father, to tune in when we can and do the things that are necessary in your kingdom. Father, help this nation, help the world get a handle on this COVID-19. Help us, Father, to be protected. Help us, Father, to find cures. Help us, Father, to create a vaccine. And help us, Father, to know what to do for when the next one comes, because I'm sure one will. God, we know that you're in control and always have been. We're grateful that we serve a God who will never leave or forsake us, not even to the end of the age. Lead, God, direct us, be with us in all things. We pray, Father, you'll go with us and before us in everything. And in all things, may we bring honor, glory, and joy to you and be worthy of the kingdom that you purchased for us. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Be safe, be healthy, and be careful. See you next time. How long? An hour. was it? Was it really an hour?